This episode of The Taylor Stevens Show is brought to you by listeners, readers, and patrons. If you'd like to learn how to support this podcast, please visit www.patreon.com slash taylorstevens. Stevens, the New York Times best-selling and award-winning author of kick-ass international thrillers, and this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking writing in the butt one word at a time. So Taylor, it is beautiful here in Florida. It's it's actually a little chilly today. It's in the, in the upper 60s, but I have family that lives in Texas, and I know it's been cold. So what have you been doing in the cold of Texas? <laughs> well... Steve already knows the answer to this question. <laughs> um, it's uh, I'm, I'm hanging indoors a lot, and that's why I was just telling him earlier that um, I, all these things that I've been doing, like you know the puzzles or the other projects, all wintertime stuff because it's too cold to go out. It's just too dark and too cold in the evenings to go outside and do much. And we had a really nice day blow through here a few days back, and I was like. I don't want to sit at my desk. I want to go outside. And I had to bribe myself to say, okay, if you do X, 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 and X and get it done by X time, then you can go spend the rest of the day outside. And so I did, which was really good because it was a goal I had been trying to get to for several days and I finally just got it done. And it made me realize that as soon as the weather warms up a little bit, it's game over for <laughs> all this other stuff that I'm doing to try and, you know, prompt up my creativity or, you know, read more or whatever to just try and be a normal human being. But where it all got started with is I, um, I, I also started doing Duolingo, which for those of you who don't know, it's a it's a language learning app that gamifies language learning. And um, it's a it's a for you can use it for free, but it, you get a much better experience if you pay for it. And over the year they had had this um, like a 60% off or something discount. And so I was like, you know what? I've never paid for it. I don't, I don't pay for apps and whatever. It's just, they don't matter enough in my life. <laughs> I don't pay for games. I don't, none of that stuff. It's just like, no, it's going to just take my time away. But for years, I've been talking about learning another language and that wanting to, because I've lived in so many places and I've caught, I've, um, I've gotten glimpses of languages, but I don't speak fluently anything except for English. And even that's a little bit iffy. And so I was like, fine, I'm going to do this. And so since I paid for it and since it's gamified, I, I do it every day. I don't do a lot of it every day. Some days more than others, but, um, some days I'm just trying to keep my streak so I don't get left behind. But anyway, <laughs> The thing with languages that's so frustrating for me and, and that's making this learning experience so frustrating is that, okay, so the language that I decided I'm going to do is Spanish because I've spent more time in Spanish speaking countries than more time there than any other of the many other languages I've been around except for um, English, right? So it's like, and it's it's an easier quote unquote language to learn than say Japanese or German. Or that. So I am... Um, I uh, started learning it. I started started doing it, and I got really frustrated really quick because my problem is I know a lot of words in Spanish, <laughs> a lot of words, and so I understand so much of what's being said, but I know no grammar, <laughs> and so 
you can they I can they'll they'll read they'll say the sentences or they'll um, ask you to read them and translate them and I can do that but then they'll ask me to go from Spanish from English to Spanish and I can't so my experience with learning this language is very hot and cold like on the one hand of it the whole gamified part of it is good it works for me you get very competitive I don't want to be last on the other hand I get so frustrated because between the typing and the um, the frustration with not understanding how the grammar works, and I don't even understand how English grammar works, so every time they try and explain something based on English grammar, they might as well just be saying it in German. Um, so anyway, that's my, my new thing. But I also, it's like, okay, I'm doing it now because it's dark and it's cold outside, but as soon as the weather warms up, I don't know, I'm going to be at the bottom of the leaderboard. And can I just say, for someone who wrote a character who who has an incredible knack for languages, I find it somewhat amusing what you're going through right now. Oh, so do I. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I've I've always I've always been in that situation, being the outsider looking in and understanding just enough, but not being able to speak it has been such a huge percentage of my life that it it's like. I almost feel more comfortable in an environment where I don't speak the language. It's almost like I can just tune it out. Like I can't tune out English because I understand it, but I can tune out when it's other languages. This is really weird. <laughs> so yeah, I'm trying to to catch up with my life experience. Well, it sounds like a fun cold weather project. So good for you for being out there learning new stuff. That's cool. Fighting dementia one word at a time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we, we do have a topic today. It's a little nebulous. It's a hard it's it's kind of hard to explain in uh in a quick pithy statement, the type that I would normally make, but we're kind of going to be talking about how to start a story or where to start a story and how along the infinite timeline uh, to find the right place to start your start yes. and build your story. So I've had this titled How to Start a Story or Scene, but it doesn't really fully describe it because this isn't about how to get started. It's not the the mechanics of it. It's about how to figure out where to start. And this is such a fantastic subject. It arrived in my inbox, courtesy of Callie, and I hope I'm pronouncing it that right. And Callie wrote me this. I have been sitting on a story story world for the better part of 10 years. Because of how the story slash concept came to be, I don't have a clear beginning. I have an inciting incident and where the narrative picks up in my head. But there are bits in between which are important but don't seem to fit in or would make the first section long. I guess my question is, how do you distill a narrative from a world you've built where every detail seems important? I feel as though any path forward, other than writing a ridiculously long book, books, would be leaving out information and thus be an incomplete story. The genre would be an amalgamation of contemporary low fantasy with a sprinkling of young adult. The protagonist is young, but content isn't necessarily kid-friendly. I view it more of a character study of the protagonist. I love Hack the Craft, and the advice and tools you give in your podcast have helped me tremendously. I figure if there's one person who can possibly help me unscramble the mess in my brain, it'd be you. 
Thank you for the compliment and the trust. We'll see. Um, when I got that, I was like, this is so awesome. It's a fantastic question. It's a an area where a lot of people, I'm certain, struggle, especially those who don't have a lot of experience building stories from beginning to end. And so I wrote back right away to say so, and also to say that I'd be answering this question on an upcoming episode. And my brain just, you know, went right to work, just churning out this outline of an answer. And by the time I'd gotten some of those notes on paper, so well, on the computer, so I wouldn't forget them, Callie had written me back with a second email which followed the first one. So I've, I've kind of edited it down a little bit just to for clarity and keep it short for this um, episode, but it said this. This may give you something to tailor your advice, or maybe not, but I thought I'd include it just in case. The narrative centers around an adolescent girl. It starts around age 13 and goes into her early 20s, who is forced to mature quite quickly, both physically and mentally, due to the powers she gains. That's the inciting incident. And the consequences of those powers. While there are external struggles, the major focus is on the internal and the psychological struggles she encounters and the effects they have on her psyche. I've thought about it more, and I'm leaning towards starting a little bit after the inciting incident with exposition laid out and flashbacks other methods that, and other methods that make sense with the plot elements. This would probably be more attention-grabbing and more of a hook than starting from the beginning and having readers work their way to the meat of the story. However, I'm still stuck with how much to include, since there are some elements which are important but may not be as interesting for readers, but will help make character decisions, traits, etc. more understandable. It's quite character-driven, with hopefully great character development if I do it properly, and I know these characters inside and out, but I fear because of how well I know these characters, I won't be able to put the necessary information on the page for readers to also understand them in their decisions. And because of this, I tend to throw everything in the pot so they'll have all the information, but I realize that is not a very good method of storytelling. And when I read that second email, I was like, well, if that isn't a perfect example of rubber duck debugging, because <laughs> Callie has nearly solved all of these issues already in answering these questions um, through the process of trying to explain them to someone else. But it's such a fantastic subject that I'm just going to tackle them anyway, as if none of these things have been answered. And um, I would like to say that I should say that these are fantastic subjects, plural, because when we break it down, we're really looking at more than one. It, it boils down to this. How do you distill a narrative from a world in which every detail seems so important how do you know how much detail and backstory to include? How do, you how do you include that detail and backstory? And here's the big one. And this wasn't articulated as a question exactly, but it's a really common sand trap and it's a subject all of its own. And it's where Callie says, I fear because of how well I know these characters, I won't be able to put the necessary information on the page for readers to also understand them in their decisions. Because of this, I tend to throw everything in the pot so they'll have all the information. So let's start at the beginning. How do you distill a narrative from a world in which every detail seems important? Now, I'm going to answer, because Callie's already done so much of the problem solving, I'm going to answer this a little more broadly. So this is specific, but it's not at the same time. So not everybody has this problem of 
distilling a narrative down. For some authors, it's actually a reverse, where it's more of a how do I build a narrative out of nothing and how do I find the detail that's important? So when it comes to needing to distill a narrative down from an overabundance of detail, that tends to arise in two forms. The first is when the author has been blessed with the opportunity of spending just this glorious amount of time daydreaming and building out ideas in their head long before they sit down to commit them onto paper. And when that happens, you end up with this inner world, like inside your head, uh, the imagination and the emotions and everything that comes with it that feels incredibly rich and alive and interconnected. And you understand the story and the characters almost as if it's this whole concept it comes through phases of life, and it's it's not chronological at all. And there's so much history, and there's nuance, and everything driving the character decisions. All of this history is what's made the characters what they are, and it, it all matters. But it exists as a story, not in a traditional narrative sense, with a clean beginning and a flow, and these elements that all tie together. It's just this big ball of everything. It's, it's almost like this massive pit of intertwined snakes all eating their tails. So every time you try and separate those various pieces and try and beat them into some form of beginning to end storyline, you get stuck because the ideas are all so chicken and eggy interconnected and you don't, you can't have one without the other because every time you think you know where to start, you realize that doesn't work because that thing only makes sense as it pertains to this other thing over here. And so Forcing it into just this single narrative that just doesn't sacrifice what makes it feel special. It's just like this hopeless mess. And if you're wondering how I know all of this, welcome to Jack and Jill's world. <laughs> so I get it. Even though for me, building the story out was a very, you know, I had to create it from nothing. I understood it as a whole. And so it was really, really frustrating. And so I, I get this when you just have so much and it's all interconnected. How do you know what matters? How do you know what to leave out? How do you not turn this into 1,500 pages of just epic over-explanation? So the second way that that how you know frustration of muddled mess tends to show up, and this is a subject for another day and is far beyond the scope of this episode, but I'm bringing it up because it's hilarious how similar it is and this happens after you finally built out a coherent story and you've got your cohesive narrative and now you've got to write a query letter and you've got to boil it all down into just a paragraph or two that somehow still manages to capture the essence of all that depth and all the interconnected pieces and that is some real fun yeah so i'm not going to talk about that we're going but it it is the same kind of concept so if you can't relate to one there's another one for you so as to the question of how do you distill a narrative from that ball of everything? So obviously this is going to be different for every story. There's never going to be a right way that's going to work for everyone 100% of the time. And so to find the right answer that does work for everyone, we've got to go back to the foundation of what story is. And for that, it's really important to remember. And for getting this, it's part of what makes it incredibly difficult to find narrative is that no story is ever the whole story. So what shows up between the opening paragraph and the final page in your quote unquote story, your manuscript, is really just 
this small segment that's been spliced out of an infinite time continuum. Even if you don't know what happened on that time continuum and you're only aware of what's happening between your the covers, the metaphorical covers of your book, well, it's still part of something larger. There's always something that came before, always something came after. And we call where it starts the beginning and we call where it starts the end. But no matter where page one begins or where the final page closes, there's always a before and there's always going to be an after. So what we're really asking here with this question is, how do I figure out where this, to start the splice and where to end it? And that's quickly followed by, and once I do that, how do I incorporate enough of the before into this splice so that the splice itself feels like a complete story all on its own? So the universal answer to that first part is everything begins and ends with character. So in your head, the world you've built and all the interconnected pieces, they carry enormous weight. And they, they are so much of what you feel when you're imagining this story. They give it the richness and the depth. But on the page, that world and the interconnected pieces only exist to support your characters. So in other words, imagination, which is absolutely critical to story building is almost completely opposite of the storytelling process. So you need all of that mental world building and the mental history building to understand your character. You need it. But and you and you need it to understand who they are and where they came from and what makes them what they are. But on the page itself, we start with character and we end with character. All the other stuff is there to support your character. So character is the thread that you pull on to unwind that massive entangled mess. And I'm going to throw three examples at you to show what this looks like in the real world. And I'm going to use movie versions of these examples because I haven't read the books. <laughs> but the books are so well known and the movies have been so widely seen that between movie and book and between the three examples, I, I'd be hard pressed to find anybody who's listening to this episode who won't have some frame of reference of what I'm getting at here. So first, we've got Game of Thrones, second, Harry Potter, and third, Star Wars. All three of these stories are massive epics in which there's this enormous history that has taken place before the opening sequence. And with the exception of Star Wars, in which the movie version gives us those few paragraphs of exposition to set the scene, you know, everybody knows what I'm talking about. Um, we're pretty much just thrown right into the action with no idea of any of the interconnected threads that have brought us to where we are. So Game of Thrones doesn't give us a prequel, a, pre a preview, and Harry Potter doesn't. And Star Wars just tells us, you know, long time ago in a galaxy far away, blah, blah, blah. Okay, so in all three of those stories, we start with character. So Star Wars, again, is a little bit different because if I remember correctly, it takes just a tad bit longer to get to character because it opens with that fight sequence that prompts Princess Leia to you know, help me, Obi-Wan, you're our last hope, or whatever, and then she sends the droids on her way. So because of that, 
there are some things that take place before we're introduced to Luke. But Luke is the character that the story's starting with. And at its heart, Star Wars is this story about a poor farm boy who gets pulled into a galactic rebellion. And it's through Luke's journey that we discover this epic world that surrounds him and all the history that's brought us to where we are when that story opens. We don't know any of it except for that little tiny bit that flashes across the scene. We don't know it. The whole story unfolds through Luke's experiences and the experiences of the other characters that are introduced along the way. So Harry Potter also starts incredibly small. We just have this one young boy and no idea of the massive world of magic that surrounds him. And it's not just that one world of magic. It's two huge interconnected worlds because we have the world of magic itself and we also have the history that's made Harry who he is. And we know none of it at the beginning. We are simply introduced to this young boy at the start of a big change. And it's through his journey that we learn all the details of and discover these epic worlds and the history that surrounds him. And we don't learn it all in one book. It is a lot of books to to discover all of this. And then we have Game of Thrones, which is perhaps the most extreme example in this concept, because in that story, there so much has happened before the story opens. And all of it just bears this tremendous weight on who these characters are, how they got to where they are, how they interact with each other, what it is they're fighting for. And it's because of everything that happened before page one that this story even exists. But the story requires a splice. And for us, that splice begins with Ned. And we learn all about the before from the beginning of that splice as it moves forward and continues along this time continuum, right? So in each of these stories, it would have been impossible for the present to exhibit the richness and depth that it does without the past that came before it. But page one just starts where it starts. That's the splice. The rest of it, all the world building, the past, the information, the details about all the various lands and cultures and the history, they all show up in direct relation to whatever is happening on the page or the screen in our present time moving forward. So if you are struggling to figure out where in your massive interconnected universe your splice begins, you ask yourself, whose eyes am I seeing this from? How old are they when they open their eyes for the first time? What situation are they in that has yanked them out of the continuum into this splice and forced these eyes open? Is this the closest I can splice to the middle of action so that there's something happening and the character's in motion from the very first paragraphs? That's how you figure out where your splice begins. And it it's not the the inciting episode the inciting incident may or may not be directly related to that. In in many of my stories, the inciting incident never even shows up on the page. It's just, I know what it is because that's the core that's holding everything together, right? So this this same principle of everything begins with character and ends with character and pulling on the character thread to untangle the mess, that exact same principle applies when you don't even have a mess. And all you have are these vague ideas about what your story might be and you're trying to figure out where the story is going or even how to build out the details and the history that's missing. Everything begins with character and ends with character. Without character, there is no narrative. 
And that leads us into the second question, which is how do you know how much detail and backstory to include? And we are going to pick up again with that in the next episode. Oh, you tease. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to get, we're trying really hard not to turn these into 45 minute episodes. So. So this It'll is great. Uh, this is great. Long. I'm looking forward to the uh, the next episode as well. So thank you guys very much for listening. We will be back in your ear with the answer to the second question next Tuesday. See you guys next week.